Welcome to Integrative Medicine Solutions with Forum Health, the podcast. Our nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers believe in a new standard of healthcare, one that creates optimal health by focusing on partnering with you, understanding your needs, learning about your unique health history, and getting to the root cause of your concerns. Using advanced testing, emerging therapies, and the latest technology, Forum Health providers are at the forefront of integrative and functional health care for all. Your journey to better health starts here. Before we get started tonight, I wanted to mention that at the end of the class, we will be taking questions from the audience. Also, as a reminder, our panelists will only be answering general health questions and will not be offering individual medical advice during the Q&A. All right, let's get started. Our panelists tonight are Dr. Andrew Peterson from our Utah clinics and nurse practitioner Patricia DeAngelis from our Chicago location. Dr. Peterson is an international leader in Lyme disease, chronic illness, thyroid disorders, hormone therapy, and pain management. He specializes in areas where he believes conventional medicine approaches fall short, including weight loss, hormonal imbalances, thyroid dysfunction, metabolic disorders, and much more. Before joining Forum Health, Dr. Peterson shaped his treatment philosophy as a hospital chief of staff in rural Texas. He brings more than 15 years of physician experience. Patricia DeAngelis is a board certified family nurse practitioner with over 35 years in the healthcare and wellness space. She is also an Institute for Functional Medicine certified provider and experienced health coach, giving her a comprehensive understanding of primary care and lifestyle medicine with a root cause approach to treating her clients. She specializes in hormone therapy, lifestyle medicine, medical weight loss, and more. Welcome. Thank you so much for speaking with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Britt. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm excited to discuss this topic. You know, weight loss, of course, is everywhere these days. And some people are achieving short-term results with weight loss injections, where others are hitting a plateau and experiencing a resistance in their bodies to losing weight. So to start us off, Dr. Peterson, can you tell us what exactly is weight loss resistance and what are some of the causes? You bet. I think it's a, well, it's a great question. And um, I, I think it's, uh, it's become clear over the course of, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years, that there's more to losing weight than simply how many calories we consume and how many calories we burn. And um, doctors have been resistant to um, recognizing that. So um, that, that's probably why it's such an important question because patients have been going to doctors for decades saying, I need to lose weight. And we just say, eat less and move more. And sadly, there are doctors that still say that. Um, but weight loss resistance is a real thing. Not being able to lose weight in spite of changing your diet is an absolute real thing. And people are looking appropriately for what to do. I would say it falls into three main categories um, with respect to uh, weight loss resistance. Um, one is your um, adrenal system, your, your, um, your hormones, cortisol, uh, estrogen, testosterone, all these hormones. If they aren't what they should be, um, your body has no reason to use the fuel, right? And so if you can't use the fuel, you're just going to store it. So if you have an adrenal problem, that's one of the big categories, um, not the biggest. The next category, and this is where all of the focus goes, 
is your um, metabolism. Now, metabolism essentially means how do we burn our fuel? You'll have no reason to burn your fuel if your hormones aren't what they ought to be. Um, but your metabolism is this uh, dance that happens between when you eat and how you store that fuel or how you burn that fuel. And most of fuel consumption happens in the mitochondria and the mitochondria is making energy for the cells. And that goes back to the hormones, like things like thyroid. Um, but it also has everything to do with insulin and glucagon and most of what we're going to talk about tonight, I think. Um, so that's one of the categories. And that's really where doctors have focused and nutritionists have focused and eat less and move more has more to do with metabolism. So you can have insulin or you can have weight loss resistance in that category, the hormone category. And the category that I think is the very most important, I would just say generally is inflammation. If you have inflammation, you won't lose weight. When people go on a diet, and it doesn't matter what the diet is, they lose nah, four to six pounds in the first week. That had nothing to do with fat. That was inflammation. The reason they started to lose weight is because their inflammation went down, right? But people have lots of causes of inflammation, toxins, chronic infections, um, uh, trauma, all those sorts of things will cause this chronic inflammation. And so you, you do everything that you're supposed to and you still don't lose weight because you have Epstein-Barr, Lyme disease and mold toxicity or heavy metals, right? So I would say those are the three broad categories and there's there's maybe other ways to, to put it together, but recognizing it as a physician or more importantly, recognizing it as a patient that um, you may not be losing weight because you haven't identified that all three of these things are going on. And so don't beat yourself up because the diet's not working. Look for the cause. Absolutely. And that's really what our providers do at Forum Health. They look for that underlying root cause. Patricia, what are some areas people need to address if they're experiencing weight loss resistance? I know Dr. Peterson touched on a few. Are there any others and are there any ways to test for weight loss resistance? Um, yes, my colleague, Dr. Peterson, really did a nice broad uh, picture developed there for us. But we can look into all of those areas that he mentioned and we, we use different tests um, uh, from a functional view than just drawing blood. We do do a lot of blood tests, um, but then we can look at the way that your body's actually processing the hormones um, and actually the way that your body is shifting um, in a way that your genetics set you up for, and perhaps we can move it in a different direction so that that is less inflammatory to your body. Um, we can check and see if your thyroid is functioning suboptimally. That's a very uh, big cause of having low cellular function. The term mitochondria, Dr. Peterson uh, used, needs optimal thyroid. So do hormones. And that is greatly overlooked by and large in the um, classic training. Um, stress levels. We look at all kinds of ways to look at uh, stress levels. Um, in the body and across the day, and um, and and that drives your ability to sleep or not. And sleep is so important in weight loss. If you're not sleeping, um, whether it's from sleep apnea or just because your cortisol levels are all out of balance, you're not going to lose weight. We also have very advanced 
functional test to look at toxins. Um, toxins are, the body beautifully protects you from toxins that you encounter, um, whether it be from eating uh, poor food or just having an environmental exposure, uh, the body keeps it in fat. And, and we can look at the way that your body's using those fats, the lipids, the amino acids, the proteins to make energy. Um, so we have all different kinds of ways at looking at those things. That's great. You know, Dr. Peterson, I hear a lot in the news about insulin resistance. What exactly is that? And how does that play into success with weight loss? And can you test for that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, your first question to me was about weight loss resistance. This is insulin resistance. That's one of the those sort of three major categories that I that I mentioned. Um, and uh, what happens with insulin resistance is so we we release this hormone insulin. The purpose of insulin is to get your cells to move the fuel from the blood inside the cell, right? Um, if I, let's say I, I was gonna go work out and I wanted to get bigger muscles, that's why I'm lifting weights. Well, if I can't get fuel inside my muscle cell, the muscle cell can't get any bigger, right? Um, and so what insulin does is it moves it into the cell. Well, if it moves it into a bone cell or a brain cell or a muscle cell, fantastic. Well. Eventually, so what happens is you, you eat food and insulin is released. The insulin tells you to move the fuel from your bloodstream into your cells. But if your blood sugar is always high, therefore you're always releasing insulin, then you start to ignore it. And if you start to ignore it now, you can't get the fuel into the cell. Now you're gonna be tired. You're gonna be like, you, you just ate, but you're like, I don't, Feel like I have more energy. Well, because you're not getting the fuel into the cell. Um, the this increase in, in insulin over time, now your body, let's say previously with the when in, insulin goes up to 20 and you start moving fuel into the cells. Well, now your baseline insulin's 20. Now you're gonna have to get your insulin up to 40 before it starts to move into the cells, which means you have to have higher levels of carbohydrates to get that because. Protein and fat doesn't raise your insulin, just carbohydrates. So now I have to have a, you know, a candy bar in order to feel like I have enough, you know, in order for me to have enough insulin to move the fuel into the cells, right? This is why you eat the Snickers bar, because you're tired until you got your sugar high enough to get your insulin high enough to get the fuel into the cells. Because having fuel in your blood doesn't do you any good. That's not where it's being burned. It's being burned by the mitochondria inside the cells. You have to get it in there, right? That's what insulin does. So over time, because our blood sugars are high, because we're eating too many carbohydrates, now we have to eat more carbohydrates to make up for the fact that a few years ago I ate too many. So my insulin goes up high enough that the fuel goes into the cells. And that just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And eventually you have type two diabetes. So insulin resistance is a precursor to type two diabetes, but the whole process of the disease is my sugar was high and I couldn't get it into the cells to use because I stopped listening to insulin. So I made it even higher. So then my insulin went higher. So that worked for a while. And then I had to do it again. And then I had to do it again. I had to go in. And, and, and along the way, you're gaining weight as it, as it happens. And are there ways to test for that? Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, that's yeah. okay. Super easy. Um, 
just test your fasting insulin. That's the first thing to do. Um, okay. Of course, you want to check your hemoglobin A1C, and there's advertisements on TV all the time. I had a guy ask me just uh, yesterday, two days ago, hey, we did my labs. I didn't check my A1C. I did that other one, the hemoglobin A1C, but not my A1C. They're the same thing. Well, that tells me your average blood sugar over the last three to six months. Really, all it is is your red blood cells float around, and if there's sugar in there, they get sticky. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's like seeing a little kid with sticky hands. You know they've been into something, right? So the stickier your red blood cells are, the more sugar is floating in your blood with your red blood cells. That's the number one thing to do. The number two thing to do is check your fasting insulin. The number three thing to do is check your challenged insulin. There's a thing called a craft protocol, like the cheese. Um, I don't think it's the same people. Um, you you drink a bunch of sugar, glucagon, or uh, uh, what is it called, um, Patricia? Um, glu uh, a glucose challenge. They do it for women that are pregnant. Um, so you, you drink this and you check your insulin and your sugar, and then an hour later, your insulin and your sugar, and then an hour later, your insulin and your sugar. So you can get really fancy, but the reality is all you need is a fasting insulin. And mm -hmm. if your fasting insulin's above eight, you probably have insulin resistance. And I can tell you how severe just based on how high I went. So, and if you get a random insulin and your random insulin is 60, that's probably not a good sign either, right? So it's very simple to check. That's great. Patricia, next, I'd love to talk to you about BMI or body mass index. You know, for dec decades, physicians, patients have relied on this measurement to determine if they were overweight. Um, should we be taking talking more about body composition versus BMI? And is BMI misleading or inaccurate in any way? Good question. And I think this is very um, uh, under understated um, in, in our society or in our talk about body image and body weight. BMI is an estimate of fat and is calculated on a ratio of your height and your weight. Whereas body composition is looking at the relative fat and fat mass, free mass, fat free mass, let me say that differently. And so a BMI, my best uh, imagery for you is go to the gym and pick out the most muscular person you can find in the room and then find the person with the largest body in the room. They probably could have a very similar or the same calculated BMI because muscle weighs more than fat. And so people with a, with a um, body composition that's more optimal, they usually, um, you know, they feel better, they have better energy. Um, there's a certain amount of fat that's needed to uh, ensure good health, but we can measure that. Um, and the scale doesn't really know the difference between a pound of fat we, we can measure fat and body composition um, and the scale doesn't know the difference between a pound of fat or a pound of muscle. Mm -hmm. So another analogy is that people who are sedentary, they can gain fat and lose muscle without changing the scale at all. Mm -hmm. Whereas a person who exercises and gains muscle, they might be losing body fat while they're gaining muscle and see no change at all either. So the body composition analysis really in, can evaluate those important shifts that the body has as you do change 
the composition of fat and muscle. So I just looked this up as you were answering that question, Patricia, because um, because I've I, you know I've read this before. Um, so based on BMI, if you're over 30, you're obese. And mm -hmm. to point out what you were saying, this muscular guy at the gym, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? Um, yeah. His BMI is 34. Hmm. He's not obese. He's just stronger than most of us. He has more muscle than most of us, right? We really should totally get away from looking at BMI entirely because it's misleading in, in that sort of a case. Um, Vin Diesel's BMI was 27. Um, I just looked these up. Uh, Will Smith's BMI is 28, right? These are just guys that work out so they can be in films, right? Um, your body composition, like you just said, um, the, the one that I have in my office, right? It's through bioimpedance, which is just how quickly does electricity travel through different tissues? You can mm -hmm. measure how much fat do you have? You can measure where it's at. Is it in your arms? Is it in your legs? Is it visceral fat? You can measure your muscle composition, right? Um, that's like, to your point, that's what we should be measuring. Because if a person, and especially as you said at the end, as a person ages, um, they'll look the same, right? My, my mom's now 76. And she looks the same as she did when she was probably 45, but she's got probably 25, 30% less muscle. That's not good, right? Um, but that's what happens as we age is you wear the same pants as you used to wear, even if you're, you know, if you're thin, because I think my mom probably weighs 118 pounds and she's always going hiking and she's fit, but she's lost muscle and gained fat. That's not ideal. Right. That's why we want to optimize those hormones. Now, I appreciate you both addressing that because I think there's a lot of myths around BMI, a lot of confusion. So thank you for demystifying it for all of us. Um, Dr. Peterson, I'm curious to know, do you feel like it's important to prep your body for weight loss by doing some type of detox first? And also, how can Form Health's medical gut detox program possibly help to maximize your weight loss results? Right, um, so uh, the obvious answer is yes, but I have to give it a qualified yes, because um, the best time for you to say, I wanna be healthy, right, is 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. Um, and so if somebody says, I wanna lose weight, I'm not gonna tell them, well, I'll help you with that in a few months. First, let's help you detoxify. Having said that I won't put them off, that's because there, when, when you're ready, we need to take advantage of that. But don't think that weight loss is something that you're going to do and detoxifying is a different thing that you're going to do. That's part of the weight loss, right? And so I would say the, the very best thing you can do to start weight loss is to help your gut by decreasing inflammation in your gut and optimizing the microbes that live critical thing that we start with. And so even if we put you on some sort of an appetite suppressant or semaglutide, a GLP-1 inhibitor, or we have you take, uh, you know, Phentermine and Topamax, whatever we do, that's not, people think, oh, that's the drug, that's the cure. Um, no, helping you with your, your inflammation in your gut, detoxification, that's as important as any medication that I put you on. And quite honestly, that's the thing that's going to make your weight loss be long long lasting rather than oh you took this medicine and i helped you lose you know a pound a week for the next 
you know, four months or whatever, and now you look great, and it all just comes back because we didn't fix the actual problem. So it's, you know, you fix the foundation of the house before you paint it. Yeah, well said, because there's a lot of very quick fix solutions out there. So I'm, I'm glad you addressed that. Mm -hmm. um, Patricia, weight loss injections like Wagovi, Ozempic, which are also known as semaglutide, and Manjaro, which is known as tyrosepatide, are everywhere. What exactly are they and how do they work in the body? So these are, these are agents that are come from amino acids. They're modified peptides. Amino acids is what meat is made out of. And so they're modified parts of the, those chains and they target various tissues in the body. And what they do is they impact mostly the brain, the digestive tract and the pancreas. And, and that creates less, uh, it, it increases satiety. You're not hungry. And it also can help support insulin production. Um, so semaglutide and ozempic, they're called GLP-1 agonists. GLP-1 stands for glucagon-like peptide. It's a hormone that's produced inside the intestines in response to food. So there's GLP-1 receptors all over the body, but when we're targeting them for weight loss, they're working on, like I said, the brain, the intestinal tract, pancreas. Um, and they, they lower your appetite. They also can uh, really lower glucose by uh, raising insulin secretion. Um, so these peptides, they're put together, they're pretty much like what your body makes on its own, like very much like it. But then they're changed to be bound stronger to carry your molecules that keep them around your body longer. That's why the injections are once a week. Um, giving you freedom for just having a lower, lower interval of when you have to take the uh, injection. So, the semaglutide and oh, I hear that echo a little bit. Um, and Ozempic are pretty much the same. Semaglutide, um, tirazepatide is a little stronger because it combines the GLP-1 with a GIF, which is a different polypeptide. It's a glucose-dependent insulin trophic, but a big name, but it works directly on the pancreas. Um, I think you asked about Wagovi too. Wagovi is very similar to Ozempic, but it's stronger. So it has a stronger appetite suppressant. Um, all of these have been like approved by the FDA for use for type two diabetes, but it was found that they really work for weight loss. And that's where it transitioned into usage for uh, losing weight. Um, and it works really well for people who have type two diabetes or another comorbidity they're called, where you have high cholesterol, hypertension, and the high glucoses. Um, and um, they work really well. For those kind of therapies. Can I can I uh, add in a little bit too? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just gonna geek out a little bit um, <laughs> and because I think it's really valuable for patients to understand some of the history of this and is it a drug or what's going on. Um, these were discovered 
in the 1980s. This is not new. Hmm. They discovered that this glucagon-like peptide, they called it that because it's, it seemed like glucagon. Glucagon um, helps increase blood sugar while insulin helps decrease blood sugar. And they said, oh, this, this sort of looks like that, right? So it's a misleading name, but they found that there's these peptides all over the, that are being produced in the body that have receptors all over the body. Now the peptide, um, and I don't know, hopefully this isn't a waste of time for patients, but a peptide is a little different than a hormone. It's a string of amino acids. It's a string of amino acids shorter than 50. If you have a string of amino acids longer than 50, that's a protein. But if it's shorter than 50, that's a peptide. Now peptides, just like hormones, um, are signaling molecules that go around the body and do different things. Think of them both like a key, right? A hormone is a key that unlocks a door and a peptide is a key that unlocks a door. Sort of like I have a key fob that starts my car and I have a password that opens my computer. They're both keys, but they're both different, right? So these peptides are naturally occurring. Our body makes them and our body is using these peptides to send certain signals. If I eat a bunch of food, then I'm gonna release this peptide to tell my body to stop eating so much food because I'm full. And it's gonna tell my body to slow down my digestion so that I have time to break it all down and then absorb some of the nutrients. I mean, you don't wanna eat a bunch of food and then poop 30 minutes later and all the food was undigested, unabsorbed, right? So these peptides are already in your body serving this purpose, right? And I think this is really interesting because big pharma seems to want to pretend like they discovered and invented these things. No, researchers that had nothing to do with the pharmaceutical company discovered these things. Pharmaceutical companies just went through the laborious issue of getting them approved by the FDA. And that's just because we live under a government that likes to control things, but the peptides already existed. Um, and so these signaling molecules are exceptionally safe and appropriate for this purpose because that's why the body's making them. The body's making them so that our metabolism works correctly. Um, and I just think that's an important thing for patients to understand, that it's not like this is um, a typical drug, um, some, some molecule, some chemical molecule that doesn't exist in the body. We discovered it in the body, not me and Patricia, but some people smarter than us. <laughs> well said. Yeah, very well said. And I like when you geek out. It, I think it's helpful for the audience. Dr. Peterson, very quickly, what would you say, just so our audience is super clear, what is the main difference between semaglutide and tyrosepatide? Okay, so um, semaglutide is exclusively a glucagon-like peptide. Um, and uh, of all of the GLP-1 agonists, it's the one that in the research probably shows the most uh, weight loss, which is why it was the one that got all the attention. Mm -hmm. Now, compounding pharmacists could make any of these because they can't be patented. What's patented is the pen. The pharmacy sells you this pen and it's $1,200 for their patented pen. But the drug itself, one, isn't a drug, two, can't be patented. So compounding pharmacists can make it up, right? The semaglutide is just the GLP-1, which increases insulin, excretion from the pancreas it increases insulin sensitivity in the muscles so now you're moving your fuel to where it needs to go it decreases glucagon which means it decreases blood sugar so now your body because the blood sugar is lower and all the fuel is stored your body says oh i better start burning fat because 
I'll have a lot of fuel just hanging around, right? Um, so that's what's going on um, with, uh, with the GLP-1. The GIP, um, which stands for gastric inhibitory polypeptide, I had to write that down for myself. Um, that one, um, it increases um, insulin as well. Um, and it has um, positive effects on bone formation. Um, it has positive effects on um, memory formation. And both of them decrease appetite. Um, so by combining them together, and that's the case with terzepatide, is you have a peptide that has both kinds of peptides. You get two peptides in one injection. Now you get a little bit better appetite suppression. You're able to use a little bit lower dose of the GLP-1. Since the GLP-1 acts in the gut, slowing down the gut, so you have time to digest the food, that can cause some nausea. It can also cause you to have some constipation. So I would say the terzepatide, you will see lower side effects because they've combined these two peptides into one injection, giving you sort of lower dose, which means lower side effect profile, but both of them doing similar but not identical things. Does that answer the question? Yeah, I think that's really helpful for our audience because there's so much information out there. So it's nice hearing it straight from the source in a lot of ways. Um, Patricia, I'm curious. Patricia, was that clear? Do you want to add anything to that? Oh, yeah, of course. That makes sense, Patricia. No, that, that, that's well said. And, um, and I think that your, your assessment of terzepatide being um, a little bit more easier to tolerate, um, I'm seeing that clinically as well. Okay. I just want to make sure what I said made sense to like a normal, like, because anyway, I'm, I'm glad oh, yeah. it makes sense. No, absolutely. No, I, I appreciate that because it, it it's helpful to really understand that difference and how it works in the body. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it feels like nowadays everyone is taking some type of weight loss uh, weight loss injection. Patricia, who really is the right candidate for a, a GLP one weight loss injection? Well, in in standard standard terms, you know, someone who has a BMI greater than 30 or 28, but as Dr. Peterson described, that could be, you know, right. the, 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 the gorgeous guys on TV. Right. Um, and so, you know, that is pretty much what the standard is. Um, the lower BMI having some other comorbidity, we talked about high sugars, high cholesterols, hypertension. However, being overweight is a state of inflammation. And these, these agents really reduce inflammation and inflammation is a driver of all chronic diseases hands down period i can link any chronic disease to inflammation and by reducing your inflammation i'm going to help that chronic disease so somebody who has a real drive for having optimal health and maybe you have a family strong family history of one of these chronic diseases or something something like alzheimer's or something um, that is also inflammatory driven like some of the autoimmune diseases um, this might be a good therapy for you to consider because we do see it changing um, those markers for people who are not technically excessively overweight, um, mm -hmm. but do have enough fat stores to be able to let some go because you are going to. And being um, without fat is not, not such a good thing either. It's that um, 
not too much, not too hot, not too cold scenario. Mm -hmm. um, um, I'm using it for a lot of people. Um, and it does circle back to a lifestyle intervention as well, though, um, which is really important. And I think that um, we, we, we pair our, our treatment with coaching, health coaching. Um, and so using that model, um, it reduces a lot of those risks. I'll, I'll chime in if you let me too. Um, I, I think most people, like uh, what Patricia just described, most people would fall into one of those categories. Most people would benefit from this. It's a pretty narrow group of people that I think aren't good candidates. And the uh, the people that, in my opinion, aren't great candidates are your, let's just say, maybe mid-30s, mid-40s. When you got married, you were five, six, and weighed 130 pounds, and now you're five, six, and you weigh 145 pounds, and you're sort of disappointed because you can't fit in your wedding dress anymore. Um, you're probably not a great candidate because this is going to decrease your appetite. It's going to change the way that you are metabolizing these fuels, and your muscle mass is going to go down just like your fat mass is going to go down. We're not helping you any. So if you're trying to lose those last 15 pounds to have that perfect beach body, go do cool sculpting or true sculpt, right? If you're like the only spot is right here, well, <laughs> this probably isn't the best drug for you. If you have 20 pounds to lose, this is a great drug. Mm -hmm. But this is not something that you can take and say, well, all it's going to do is make me burn fat. You will lose muscle at some point because of, of that effect. And so I always tell my patients, look, uh, just be aware that those last 10 pounds that you're trying to lose, that's going to be a whole different animal. That's going to be you being in the gym. That's going to take more, actually more time to lose the last 10 pounds than the first 40, which is a little weird, but that's the reality. Um, and I would also just reinforce what Patricia said. There are so many um, diseases that either we die from them or they dramatically make our life worse, right? Like I might not die from Alzheimer's. It, it actually could kill you, but I might just not be able to find my way home. Well, if I were taking semaglutide or terzepatide 10 years prior, I probably wouldn't have had that inflammatory disease because my blood sugar would go down, which means my vascular health would improve, which means I didn't get Alzheimer's, right? right. And so there's a whole bunch of people out there that would benefit from this. And yeah. I hope I don't get myself in trouble with this statement, but some um, august body of approval that says, hey, you can use it for these things. You can use it for any inflammatory disease known to man because that's what it's gonna do is reduce inflammation. And the one last thing I would say with respect to patients um, that may do well with it, I've been really surprised clinically how well patients that have some gastrointestinal issues, SIBO or CFO, um, small intestine bacterial overgrowth or small intestine fungal overgrowth, how well they do because since it changes how they're eating, it changes what the bacteria that are causing them problems get to eat. And so some people are like, well, I better not start on it yet because I have these other problems. Um, and other patients say, oh, I got to start on it right now, Dr. Peterson. I have no time to lose, right? Um, swimsuit yeah. weather is coming. So yeah. I let them start because I'm a libertarian and I think it's up to the patient. Um, 
And they do really well because now they're not eating a bunch of food that's feeding all the wrong bugs. So I, I've found it to be remarkably helpful in a number of uh, patients that you wouldn't otherwise guess. Yeah, no, that's great. And you know, another thing I wanted to touch on, you mentioned some side effects. You mentioned nausea and uh, loss of muscle mass. What are some other common side effects that people could maybe experience with weight loss injections? And big biggest question we always get is, is it safe? Uh, I, I get that question every time and it is, uh, it's a great question. Um, safety is about benefits and risks. Is it safe to be overweight? Is it safe to have a heart attack? Is it safe to have diabetes? Is it safe to have Alzheimer's, right? Now, it is real and true that terzepatide or semaglutide or any of the other GLP-1 inhibitors, um, there is a statistically significant increase in the risk of what are called multiple endocrine neoplasias, right? Um, they are cancers that uh, this class of cancers is exceptionally rare. And it goes from being exceptionally rare to very rare, right? Like it does increase your risk of this type of cancer. Um, but if that cancer is, um, I'm making this number up because I don't know the rate of that cancer, but let's say the rate of that cancer is one in 100,000 people and your rate goes to one in 80,000 people. Well, that's a real increase. Um, but your risk of dying from a heart attack is 40 to 50%. And if you take this medication and lose weight, now your risk went down to 20%, right? Like that's a meaningful drop in risk, okay? So um, you have to take that into account when you say, well, is it safe? Um, I, I think this is a reasonable example. Is it safe to fly in airplanes? Yeah, it's pretty darn safe. It's safer than flying in cars. Well, is it safe to fly in airplanes with no seatbelts? Almost as safe as it turns out, almost as safe. Um, I, I always wear my seatbelt in the airplane, but if the airplane crashes, I don't think it's gonna save me, right? Like statistical significance matters. And so the, the idea that, oh, I can't take this because it increases my cancer risk. Well, that wasn't gonna be what took you anyway. It was gonna be the heart attack, the diabetes, or the dementia. Right, right. Um, so I think that's important for people to understand is relative risk. Uh, the, with respect to the question about um, side effects, the ones I see, and here's the thing, if you're going to take this medication, plan on having the side effect. That's my, that's what I tell my patients. Don't think, well, this happens to a few patients. No, this will happen to you. You will have nausea. You just will, right? Um, now, some people don't. They're the exception, in my opinion. Patricia will give you her clinical experience, I hope, because I, I think it's valuable. But I just tell them to expect it. Now, most patients say they do the injection on Tuesday night. Well, Wednesday is not going to be the best day of the week. And by Thursday, they're like, I'm fine on Thursday, right? Um, constipation's pretty common, not as common as the nausea. Um, losing muscle mass, sincerely, it really only happens in people that are taking it that, don't, that, that should use something else for weight loss. You're not going to lose muscle mass if you've got 40 pounds to lose. Um, now, you should be doing these other things that we mentioned at the beginning, do things for detoxification, optimize your hormones, um, do, do, do the gut shakes, the GDRX program that Forum has. Those are the things that are gonna keep you from having some other problem like losing muscle mass. Um, but uh, I, those are sort of the side effects I see. I don't see a lot of other side effects. Mm -hmm. well, what's your experience, Patricia? 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Nausea, uh, pretty much everybody has it in the beginning and then a lot of times it wears off and and yeah. and people don't have nausea after the first injection of the higher dose or at the first dose that they take. Exactly. Yeah, it'll go away. Just stick with it, it'll go away most of the time. So that's really a good point to point out. Yeah, and in constipation. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we just generally use some some magnesium supplement that also helps you relax and helps you sleep better, relaxes mm -hmm. your muscles. Magnesium is used in so many different biochemical uh, reactions. So it's a great, great uh, way to keep yourself regular. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into having a bowel movement besides just peristalsis, because that's what's happening. Peristalsis means the wave-like motion on the intestine, mm -hmm. and that's what's being inhibited. But you could go bounce on a trampoline for 30 minutes and you'll create the peristalsis, right? right? Walking around is the most important thing you can do to poop every day. Stay well hydrated mm -hmm. and walk around. Th this is important though too. If you look at the research on GLP-1 inhibitors, they decrease your appetite. They also decrease how much water you drink. You're going to have mm -hmm. to get yourself to drink water. Like get, mm -hmm. I am not a fan of the Stanley mug fad because <laughs> I think people are wasting $45 when they could just use a glass. But Go ahead and get yours, get it in the pink, uh, whatever you want, and drink it. Like you, I think you do have to force yourself to drink water while you're on these because it'll decrease that that desire to have water as well. But one of the things that I do, I don't know, put, chime in on this, Patricia, if you will, but mm -hmm. when patients have real problems with it, one, first of all, titrate up slowly, but two, I'll often break the dose and do it twice a week because it's got a half-life of a week, and so... If you take half as much twice as often, it'll still do the same job as if you take twice as much once a week, right? And so if they can't get past like 15 units, because every time they take 15 units, the next day is miserable, well, I'll just have them do eight units twice a week. And I found that to be very successful. I, I do too. I split it um, a lot for, for that same reason, as well as to help people who where if they do a, injection early in the week, then by the weekend, they are temptations to right. overeat and that weekend binge that they're used to doing. Um, I'll split it up and then they, they it helps them get through the weekend without falling off track of their goals. Yeah, and Patricia mentioned this earlier. Um, I use health coaches. We have health coaches at Forum Health and the key to the health coaches is um, they're going to be able to, you know, sort of work with you on these things. Oh, I'm having this side effect. Oh, we'll make this change, right? And start some supplement or split the dose in half. Um, so I think if people aren't having success, um, they they need to make sure they're they're using a health coach along with the physician um, or provider that they're that they're seeing, and they'll the success will go up much much greater. Absolutely. Well, and I want to circle back to your earlier comment, Dr. Peterson, that if you aren't having success, oftentimes it's one of the other other areas of, involved in weight loss, hormones, thyroid, right. something else that needs to be tweaked that we right. do at Forum Health, which maybe isn't done at some of these other uh, med spas or somewhere else that is doing the semi-glutide therapy. We yeah, really, no, we really have people come into my office. We're going to do all those labs on the first visit, right? Because that way. You can say on the second visit, maybe maybe I've started them on semaglutide, but at the second visit, I'm like, oh, well, we better treat your thyroid and I got to give you some testosterone. And yes. We got to do your detox pathways. And you remember I started you on those shakes when you came in. Those are really important more so than you realized. Right. So you're 100 percent right. Um, if they are not losing weight, there is one of these other things happening. Mm hmm. 
absolutely. Because really the goal is, of course, short-term weight loss, but long-term maintenance of that weight loss and overall health as well at Forum Health um, is, oh. is really achieving optimal health in a lot of ways. Patricia, I'm curious, and I, I'm sure I know a lot of people in this call tonight are, are, are wondering, generally speaking, and I know everyone's different, what kind of results can a person expect from taking weight loss injections and all of the other therapies uh, that Forum Health offers? Well, you, you said it. Everybody is very different, um, and, and, and it, it has to do a lot with um, all of what we've spoken about what's driving your body to hang on to extra weight. Um, and, but basically it's said, and actually there's been a really good study done and published in the New England Journal of Medicine that proved that if you use semaglutide just at 2.4, like a small little dose a week, uh, participants lost, I think it's 15% it's of their body weight compared to the placebo group who had no therapy, um, even though both groups were given lifestyle support. So that's saying that the meta, that the that the semaglutide does really have an impact um, to support all your efforts in lifestyle. So, but even the people who lost less, let's say that they were not doing all of what they could to uh, lifestyle make changes in lifestyle, um, and they only lost a little bit, they still lost more than the other placebo groups. So that's pretty much what I'm seeing, and that's within like 68 weeks. So that's pretty much what I'm seeing clinically, um, and faster if people are devoted to, you know, using the full the full offering, the health coaches, the, the, the shakes with the protein in it, sleeping, taking you know priority of their health and using um, lifestyle to support the therapy. Um, but that's, that's what I've been seeing clinically. Dr. Peterson, would you agree to that? Or do you see oh, more? Uh, I, no, I, I do. I, I mean, I've seen patients lose 70 pounds, but they also needed to lose 100, right? Um, right. So and uh, the, the, the guy that I'm thinking about when I say that, right, he, we optimized his hormones first. He was like, look, I want to do that first. I want to get some energy back. He started going to the gym with his spouse and um, he needed to lose weight and she didn't. And, but, but she was willing to go to the gym and lift weights with him. Mm -hmm. And I think it probably took eight months, but 70 pounds in eight months is like crazy, mm -hmm. right? Um, I say that to patients and like, well, I want to do that. I'm like, okay, well, you got to do all the stuff then. You got you got to go to bed on time. Stop looking at your phone at 11:30. There's nothing on there. You already looked at it. Stop reading the news. It's the same thing as yesterday, right? Read a book. Tell your wife you love her. Go to sleep, right? Go on a walk. You pet your dog. All those things that reduce stress allow you to start making the right amount of cortisol and not hold on to that fat. So I think you're a spot on. The other thing I tell people as far as what to expect is um, because you're going to get a vial of semaglutide and it's going to cost you a certain amount of money, you want to use the least amount you can and have it work, right? Because taking more doesn't make it work faster necessarily, right? You'll just eat even less, but you, you want to do this in a way that makes sense. So 
I tell people you want to lose a pound to a pound and a half a week. So figure out what the minimum dose for that is, and, and then you'll be successful. Moreover, you'll have fewer side effects because you're losing the least, you know, you're, you're losing the right amount of weight, but you're using the least amount of drug to do it. Um, so, and then, and it costs the least because if you can do this at 18 units a week instead of 25 units a week, the labile lasts longer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I encourage people to do the same and finding their sweet spot, which is that you're, 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 you're able to eat, you're not having terrible side effects and you see that one to two pounds every week on right. the scale. The men that's, are going to require a higher dose than women. Um, yeah. Yeah. My experience. And that's yeah. okay. And men actually probably tolerate it better than women. Uh -huh. um, they have I think, fewer side effects and faster weight loss. And don't be discouraged because men that need to lose weight generally need to lose more than their spouse needs to lose anyway. So mm -hmm. it, it it's fair in the end. So <laughs> you know, today everyone from medical spas and even salons, online pharmacies are offering weight loss injections. And they're really using a one size fits all approach for everyone. Dr. Peterson, in your opinion, what are some of the pitfalls of this? Well, we probably already hammered this, but they're not addressing the root cause. And then you're just gonna gain the weight back, right? I mean, that's why Forum Health was founded five years ago. That's why everybody that does integrative medicine went into integrative medicine is because they want to treat the root cause of what's going on. We're not treating a disease. We're helping you be healthy. And so we're treating the different things that cause inflammation from infections to toxins to gut dysbiosis. We're treating your hormones. Um, and then in addition to that, we're saying, hey, how, how do these peptides work? that have been regulating human metabolism since the, the dawn of humans. Oh, this is how they work. Let's optimize those, right? And so if you use all the parts and pieces, then people end up, yes, they lose weight, but they also have energy and they feel like their brain's firing fast and they their, mo their mood is good and all of these things happen, right? You're not gonna get that if you go to a med spa where they're doing your eyebrows and your wrinkled lines, right? Like that's <laughs> not what you do. Um, so, and I don't, I don't think it's cheaper there either. So I don't know why you'd go there. Um, pharmacies are able to, you know, sell this stuff to you, but you're not getting the same thing as this whole big picture. Um, I think that, you know, there's places that don't have uh, adequate coaching, right? Because people are having side effects. Because you could just re reliably go to your family doctor and say, hey, give me some Ozempic. And if he writes the prescription, great. But um, now what are you going to do when you have your side effects? So I, I, th that's what I love about working at Forum Health. We're trying to make sure that all of these things are addressed and that we really help you be healthy, not just address that you're overweight. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Peterson, another question for you, and I, I, we hear this a lot. Um, will a person regain weight if they stop using either semaglutide or tyrosepatide? Um, and how does Forum Health help to mitigate this? I know you touched upon a little bit before, but just to just to send right. it home, just to make sure yeah. people um, have this question addressed. For anybody that this is redundant, I apologize. The answer is yes, you will regain the weight if we have not addressed those other things. If we haven't made sure that your inflammation is being addressed, your gut dysbiosis is still there, you still have Bartonella or Epstein-Barr or Lyme disease, 
you will gain some weight back because you still have some inflammation and your metabolism is being affected by that thing. You will gain some of the weight back if we haven't optimized your hormones or your thyroid, right? You will gain some of the weight back if you haven't made appropriate lifestyle changes and you're not going to bed on time and getting up and going on a walk. Um, we're, we're all trying to do the best we can, right? And so if a patient does gain weight back, I'm pretty sure they're doing the best they can, right? There's nobody out there that's like, I'm gonna undermine myself. I don't want it to work, right? And so when that happens, um, it's certainly not a time to say, see, I told you so. It's a time to say, hey, let's figure out what we're not quite doing right, right? And I, all the time for my patients, say, look, you've lost weight. We, we, we went up to say you're on 25 units or 30 units a week, and you've been losing a pound, a pound and a half a week. It's been working great. You lost 45 pounds. Everything's good. Let's stop this peptide because I don't think you need it anymore. Well, instead of just stopping, let's go to 10 units a week, right? Let's leave you on 10 units a week for the next eight weeks or 10 weeks and make sure that you don't start regaining that weight, right? It sort of gives you this moment of training wheels to say, am I there yet? And it, I think it allows people this buffer time to say, yeah, you know what, lifestyle, I still gotta make some changes. When I was taking the higher dose, it was easier for me to resist the second piece of lasagna. But some of it does come down to these habits that we have, right? I, I don't eat lasagna because I'm hungry. I eat it because it's delicious, <laughs> right? Um, I'm probably not hungry after eating the first two thirds of the first piece, right? And so I just think that it makes sense to recognize all those things and work together as a team with the patient and say, how do we do it? And, and I think it's reasonable to leave the patient on a small dose of any of these uh, for, for some time. So that's sort of how I mitigate it. I'm not trying to make people feel like it, this doesn't work. It absolutely works. And I have plenty of patients that when we do all the steps and then they stop the semaglutide, the weight doesn't come back on. Um, but then, and I'll say this too, we live in a land of plenty. We have grocery stores. You just go there and there's food and you buy, and then you're like, right, we're not living like the cavemen where we're like, I'm not sure the next time I'll be able to drop one of those mastodons. We might be hungry for two weeks, right? Intermittent fasting works because that's the way the human metabolism originally was designed, is we're gonna go look for food and if we find it today, we'll eat. And if we don't, that's okay, hopefully we'll eat tomorrow, right? And so that, that's sort of how our metabolism is built. But now we live at a time when you can eat three meals a day. We probably shouldn't. We should probably eat two meals a day. Um, but, what that means is if we are going to live this, the sort of normal way that Americans live, give it four years and you'll probably need to do this again, not because of toxins or infections and inflammation and hormones, but simply because metabolically we've sort of put ourselves back into that level of insulin resistance that goes along with living at a time when we have more food than we need. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not trying to say we're all bad people, but that's what mm -hmm. happens. We develop insulin resistance. And, and it's genetic too, right? Some people are more predisposed to this than others and they shouldn't feel shame for that. I mean, some of it uh, de depends on your, on, on your heritage, right? Uh, yeah. Insulin resistance is far more common in Native Americans and Hispanics mm -hmm. than Asians. Well, mm -hmm. so maybe they need to do this again in two years rather than three. And there's no reason to feel like, oh, this is my fault. Um, I don't know, blame, blame your ancestors. <laughs> <laughs>
Right. You know, uh, can either one of you share maybe any recent patient experiences uh, who have been on our medical weight loss program? Well, I, I shared with you about the guy that lost 70 pounds. Um, That's pretty incredible. That's pretty my incredible. Well, is not recent. My favorite example is 15, 16 years ago. The first patient that came to me and said, I want to make some changes. I want to get healthy. I've got, you know, I'm, I'm overweight by well, however much it was. And these GLP-1 inhibitors had just barely come out. And I said to him, I'll bet we can cure your diabetes. He had a hemoglobin A1C of like 11. And I said, mm -hmm. I bet we could cure it. Why don't you start doing intermittent fasting? I'm going to put you on this brand new drug that just came out. And let's see if we can fix this. And he was committed. And mm -hmm. um, he, was, he wasn't in good shape, right? Getting him to walk, I would say, maybe around the block was, was a, that was hard for him, right? But after a year and a half, his diabetes was cured. His blood pressure was normal. His uh, cholesterol profile was normal. And he stopped the medications and he just continued to, you know, live a, a lifestyle. So he's my very favorite patient because he was one of the patients that made me, this was when I was practicing in a conventional setting at a hospital in Texas. And I was like, wait a minute, there's a better way. We can help people be healthy instead of just manage their disease. Right. So right. to me, he's the poster child for these medications and how it's a process and how you get your life back. And uh, that, that to me was just inspiring and it changed how I practice medicine. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I would I have stories like that as well. And, and that's amazing. And another thing that I see, uh, especially in women, is that um, using using this whole person approach and the assistance of the uh, GLP-1 um, products, women who were having trouble with fertility all of a sudden are getting pregnant mm -hmm. and having children. Which is really exciting. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Wow. wow. It's just absolutely beautiful. So um uh that I want to add, aside from just the great losses in weight, it really does shift your health. That's wonderful. Well, before we wrap up tonight and open up the class to uh some questions, what is one thing? That you'd like our audience to take away i know we we talked about a lot of different topics a lot of different things within weight loss um, but what's one thing you'd like our audience to take away and patricia i'd love to start with you first um you know if you have if you have if you have a goal to improve your health um just to really get centered with your own self um and and reach out for a system like this, who is gonna assist you in achieving a whole person designed program um, to reset your path. Um, and be curious, be curious. Um, and, you know, use resources like semi-glutide um, with the right person, um, with the right person that's going to keep you safe and give you good, good advice and good resources to help you on your journey. That's great. Mm -hmm. 
one thing is hard for me. So if I'm going to try and distill it down to one thing, I'm going to say be optimistic. Um, yeah. I'm going to say a bunch of other things, and then I'll come back to be optimistic. Um, okay. This is how your body's designed. Your body was made to be healthy, right? And we live in a in, we live in a, a world that's that's polluted, and the bugs that we're supposed to live with that are microbiome, they've been altered and changed because of pesticides and herbicides and the foods we eat and all these things. So you've got, there's a lot of disadvantages, right? In the world we live in, it's a, it's a dirty world in that respect. But biologically, you are an incredible organism and your body, no matter what situation and condition it's in right now, was designed to heal itself. It has that ability. So long as you are still breathing and your heart is still beating, it has the ability to do this. And these, these things, sort of this holistic approach of saying, hey, let's make sure we take care of things that cause inflammation and let's make sure we take care of your endocrine system and then let's make sure we focus on your metabolism. It works. That's how your body works. And so if we do these things together, you're gonna succeed. So be optimistic. Um, no matter how discouraged you've been in the past about saying nothing's ever worked, um, it's it's probably because you haven't ever had the opportunity and the guidance to do all the things you need to do. That's wonderful. I love ending on hope. Hope and optimism is always wonderful. I think we end all of our webinars that way when I think about it, because uh, we truly do offer hope. Thank you both so much. This was such a great webinar. Um, I hope it helped answer a lot of questions that our audience had tonight, maybe clear up some misconceptions. Um, and now I'd love to open up the class to questions from our audience. We'll probably just take the next five to 10 minutes to answer any of your burning questions. Um, again, as a reminder, we're only gonna be answering general health questions and not individual medical advice. Um, so please send those in now. I know they've been coming in nonstop ever since we started. So let me, let's try to get to some of these. Okay, a big question that I see a lot. Is semaglutide a type of insulin or a stimulant? Uh, it's neither one. No. Um, it's, a, it, it, it's a peptide, so it's a molecule that already existed in your body. It exists there now. It binds to a receptor, and you have these receptors in all sorts of tissues. Your pancreas is one of the tissues, and it's probably the most sensitive to these. Your gastrointestinal tract has these receptors. Your brain has these receptors. Um, your muscles have these receptors. And so it binds to the receptors and it sends a signal in that tissue that's specific to that tissue, right? And when it binds to the receptor in the muscle, it tells the muscle to be more receptive to the effects of insulin. When it binds to the pancreas, it tells the pancreas to excrete more insulin. When it binds to the brain, it tells the brain to decrease your appetite. So it has all sorts of effect all over your body. And it's not, it's not pulling a lever that shouldn't be pulled. What's happening is it's pulling all the levers appropriately for, okay, I've eaten, now let's use the fuel. And it's the now let's use the fuel step that helps you lose the weight, mm -hmm. right? And that's why it's such a more elegant solution than anything else that's been done so far. Uh, and I think doctors, whether they understand all those details or not, that's why we're so excited about it. And that's why it works so well. And you're like, well, who can't use it? Uh, dead people, right? Like everybody can use it because it's in everybody. We all have this peptide. <laughs> so.
That's a quote from tonight. <laughs> Only dead people can't use this. <laughs> okay, well, that, I'm taking it to an extreme. Like but we all have this peptide, so we all use it now. Right. Yeah. So here's a good question that came in. Um, are any of these medications safe for someone who's breastfeeding, or do I need to finish breastfeeding until I actually start weight loss injections? I'll answer that. I would. I, That's a, it's a risky question. <laughs> I would. I would. You know, anything. Anything. Mom takes in. Baby takes in. So I would. I would suggest that you wait until after you're ready to stop breastfeeding, and there is that readiness. You decide that for yourself, and then um, come talk to one of us after you're done. I agree. So the That's problem is. There will never be a study done on any of these peptides during pregnancy. Do you mm -hmm. make these peptides? Are you making them and using them now? Yes. Um, is it a good idea for you to burn up your fat stores while your body is trying to produce food for your baby? Probably not. That's what your fat stores are there for, right? Um, and so uh, mom-baby medicine uh, almost immediately becomes baby medicine because that's the, and, and most mothers agree with this because most mothers would say, well, the baby just became more important than I became, right? And so I would say you're gonna wanna wait. Um, breastfeeding by itself will help cause a lot of these processes to occur. And so you'll be losing weight just simply with breastfeeding. Um, trying to be a good family doctor and encourage the whole family dynamic I would encourage you to breastfeed for a year because it's good for your baby and it's good for you. And take a long view of life and come and see one of us. You can do the like the detox shakes. You could do a protein shake while you're pregnant. Great. Um, so you can start to do some things, but I wouldn't recommend one of these peptides while you're pregnant um, simply because the medical legal risk of making that recommendation is yeah. uh, prohibitive. Yeah. Um, somebody just wrote in and they said, I'm a forum health patient and I have achieved such great success and thank you so much. So I just wanted to share that. I'm getting a lot yeah. of comments. Thank you to our panelists. This was really interesting and helpful. So just wanted to share those. Um, great question came in. Uh, can weight loss injections help women with weight gain due to menopause? Oh, sure. absolutely. Right. Go ahead, Patricia. Absolutely. Um, it, it is a great complement to investigating your hormones um, and to set you on a path to lose that weight that does ensue at the onset of menopause. Um, and if you are estrogen deficient and your hormones are imbalanced, the gaining of weight is just something that you can't you can't you can't starve yourself out of. It's just gonna continue to happen. And so this is a great uh, product to add to what I would suggest is a full evaluation of like where your hormones are they're at and they complement each other perfectly. Absolutely. That's wonderful. That's great. And then one last question I have, um, is there anything I should avoid while on the weight loss injection, specifically alcohol? Is that something that people can drink? I don't think it's specifically going to interfere with the way that the medication works. Alcohol is a sugar and sugar raises insulin and causes more insulin resistance. So um, like most sugars, I would say just 
you know, don't overeat sugar. So if you right. drink alcohol, don't over drink alcohol, mm -hmm. right? right? Try not to have the second piece of lasagna and try not to have the second glass of wine. Um, <laughs> that, that's the beauty of moderation is you can have almost everything, just don't do it too much. Right. And now I'm hungry after you've been talking about lasagna so much. <laughs> so that's about all the time we have. Thank you again so much, Dr. Peterson and Patricia. We just appreciate your time, your expertise. Um, this is a really important topic for a lot of people. And thank you to everyone who joined us tonight. I hope you found this um, helpful. I encourage you to share it with your loved ones, your family and friends, because everyone in some way is struggling with some type of health issue if it isn't weight loss. Um, also, if you'd like to learn more about Forum Health Solutions for Weight Loss Resistance, please visit us at forumhealth.com. You can also call us at 855 467 5922. Again, that's forumhealth.com. And I put all of this information into our welcome message. Um, you'll also be getting a recording of tonight's webinar. So again, share it with everyone you know. Um, in the meantime, please connect with us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We have tons of great content on a variety of health topics. Uh, we, ha we have a lot of videos from these two experts here. So make sure you connect with us on those, uh, those platforms. And again, thank you so much for joining us and I hope everyone has a great night. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Forum Health Podcast. Forum Health is the first nationwide network of integrative and functional medicine providers. To learn more about this topic and to find a Forum Health provider near you, visit forumhealth.com.